0: Give every person today a very special welcome to our, our program and our church service. We're so glad that you've joined us and grateful for your presence. The most important personal question that was ever asked was not asked by a prophet or a preacher, but by a pagan. You'll find this question recorded in the scriptures in Matthew 27 and verse 22. I'd like you to take a moment, please turn to this passage. In Matthew chapter 27, and it's verse 22, and you'll find Bibles in the pews. Matthew 27 and verse 22. We want to give our viewers, particularly on 3ABN today, a very special, very sincere welcome. I think it's found in Matthew 27, and I believe it's verse 22. And these are the words not of a prophet, not of a preacher, but of a pagan. Verse 22, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. I would suggest that the most important personal question that can ever come to a human heart is this question. What then shall I do with this man who is called the Christ?" The rabble back there shouted back, let him be crucified. It's the most important question. It is the most important question because it deals with the issues of time and eternity. It's the most important question because it's about the most important person. Said by Pontius Pilate. Yesterday, a week ago, we visited the the town of of Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. It was in this very location that archaeologists some time ago found the Pilate inscription. And there it is on display, at least a copy of it. There you can read the words in the Latin, Pontius Pilate. And these words were said by Pontius Pilate. The most important personal question, what then shall I do with Jesus, this man who is called the Christ? Before a person can really give serious attention to that question, another question needs to be asked and answered, and that question is this, who in fact is this man, who is Jesus? Almost every person today is prepared to concede the fact that Jesus really existed. There are very few people left on the face of the earth who deny the historicity of Jesus. I have a book here that I was given when I was over there just a few days ago, Look Upon Zion. It is written by uh, a Jewish gentleman. Uh, He was our guide, and he's an authority in all of the holy sites in in this part of the world. And he has put out this book, which is a very excellent book in archaeology, entitled Look Upon Zion. This man is an Orthodox Jew and very fine gentleman. He said in his book, at the end of Herod's reign, in the small town of Bethlehem, Jesus was born. He grew up in the northern town of Nazareth, but had to leave that village when he was 30 years of age because of the anger of the townspeople. His next stop was Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where he started to preach, performing miracles, and chose his primary disciples. Observing the Jewish festivals, He often went to Jerusalem. It was at the time of Passover that Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem. Jesus was well received by the people, but not by the religious hierarchy. He was accused of being a heretic by the Jewish leaders and of being a rebel by the Romans. On the order of Pontius Pilate, Roman high commissioner, Jesus was put to trial at the Antonia and sentenced to death. After suffering humiliation, beatings, the wearing of a crown of thorns, and the carrying of a cross through the streets of the city, he was crucified at Golgotha. His apostles spread his teachings throughout the ancient world. Within three centuries, a new and powerful religion had accumulated vast powers and become the dominant faith in the Western world. Almost every person, I say again, on the face of the earth says that Jesus did exist. That he was a great person, that he was a man of history. But if I were to say to my new friend Ezra, our guide, and this Orthodox Jewish gentleman, if I were to ask him this question, Ezra, was he a good person? Ezra would say, Yes indeed. One of the greatest, one of the best of people that has that has ever lived. Was he Ezra, the Messiah, he would say, certainly not. Was he God? Definitely no. Definitely no. But he was a good man. I want to ask these questions today, and for a little while, I want us to seek the answers. Here is the first question. Was Jesus the Messiah... Just a few days ago some of us stood in the tomb of David, at least what they think is the tomb of David, and we noticed out of our brothers there of the Jewish faith praying earnestly for the coming of the Messiah. They believe that that the Messiah is going to come. We believe that He has come. And there are some reasons we believe that Jesus is the Messiah And there are some reasons why we are convinced with all our hearts that he was the Son of God. I want you to think for a little moment today of some of the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Did you know, my friend, in the Old Testament there are 60 major prophecies? Let me say it again, not a dozen not even a score, but there are at least 60 major prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. I want you to think of just a few. There is the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 that you know of by heart that says that the seed of the woman would come. Maybe we should notice that text. Would you please turn with me to the first of the messianic prophecies, Genesis chapter 3, please, and verse 15, Genesis, the third chapter, the first of many, many prophecies about the coming of a mighty prince of peace. Genesis 3, and verse 15, the Bible says, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Jesus was the seed, not of the man, but Jesus was the seed of the woman. And so the first prophecy tells us that when the Messiah came, he would not come of the seed of man, but he would come of the seed of the woman. And then when you read in Genesis chapter 9 and chapter 10, you read of, You don't need to turn to this one because you know this one. You read there the story of Noah, and you read there the division of the human race that came from the three sons of Noah. Who were they? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And here God made another one of those vital choices, and God said the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of whom? The tribe of Shem, not from Ham, not from Japheth. And then you come down many, many more years and you come to the days of a man by the the name of Abraham who was of the tribe of Shem. He he came from the tribe of Shem and God called him out of the land of, of the Chaldees. And the Bible says that he had two sons. Who were they? The two sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. And God said the Messiah is going to come through Isaac. And so, once again, God was making certain choices. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And God said, the Messiah is going to come through Jacob. And then Jacob had how many sons? He had twelve sons. And God said, the Messiah is not going to come, of course, through all of the twelve sons. He is going to come through one of the sons, through Judah. And then later on, you come to another great family in the tribe of Judah, and that was the family of Jesse. And Jesse had eight children, but God said, the Messiah is going to come not only from Jesse, but he's going to come from one of those eight sons. He is going to come from the tribe of the house of David. And so you have these amazing prophecies where God picks out certain people and certain tribes and makes certain statements, and all of those prophecies could be fulfilled in only one person, and that is in Jesus. Then in the year 1012 B.C., you have the amazing prophecy of Psalm 22. I want you please to turn to this psalm, if you don't mind, Psalm 22, and notice one of the most amazing prophecies of them all psalm 22 where the the death of the messiah is described in psalm 22 and would you please notice let us start at verse let us start at verse 14 of psalm 22 it is page 391 psalm 22 verse 14 where the messiah cries out I am poured out like water all my bones are out of joint my heart is turned to wax it is melted away within me my strength is turned is dried up like a pot shed and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death dogs have surrounded me a band of evil men has encircled me would you say it they have pierced my hands and my feet this is crucifixion 800 years before it was devised i can count all my bones people stare and gloat over me they cut, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing of course this prophecy was fulfilled in the last few hours of our lord's life when he was crucified If we had time today we could take you to the Messianic prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 where the coming of the great Prince of Peace was was literally described and we were told it would be so many years after the restoration or the decree to restore the, the city of Jerusalem. And as you know from a study of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26 the Bible made the amazing prophecy that the Messiah would appear in his own land in Israel in 27 A.D. And of course we know from a study of history and archaeology that Jesus came to his own people and started to preach the everlasting gospel in 27 AD. So many prophecies, and we're touching but a few. I want you to notice one other prophecy, if you don't mind, please. I want you to come over here to Malachi chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, page 676. And God said, four or five hundred years B.C., See, I will send my messenger... Who will prepare the way before me? Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come, where? To his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is quite an incredible prophecy. It's force only dawned upon me this week as I was looking at the remains of the ancient Jewish temple. Because as every person here knows, The Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans by Titus in 70 AD. And the Bible says that the Lord, the messenger of the covenant, would come to his own temple. And so the Messiah had to come while the temple was still standing. And the temple today is gone. A mosque of a foreign religion stands on the site of the holiest place. In all of Israel. But the Bible says that the Messiah would come to His holy temple. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. He must already have come, I tell you, my friend. And so, when you look at these prophecies, there are so many of them. There are 60 major prophecies, and we have noticed only three or four of them. One man said that according to the law of probability... The chance of one man fulfilling all of these various prophecies is one in ten to the seventeenth. That is one in a hundred million billion. One in a hundred million billion is the chance of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies. There is only one man my friend who fulfilled all those prophecies and that is the man whom we call Jesus. It has also been said that if you were to take silver coins, silver dollars, and cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars to the depth of two feet, think of this now, because Texas is a big state. And if you were to cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollars to a depth of two feet, and if you were to mark one of those silver dollars... How many dollars? I don't know. Billions of them. Billions and billions of silver dollars. Two feet of silver dollars all over Texas. And if you were to shake them all up. And then if you were to blindfold a man and say, go and find the dollar that has the red mark on it. He may find it that the probability is very, very slight. It is one in ten with seventeen zeros after it. That is exactly the same probability of one man fulfilling all of the Messianic prophecies. There is only one man, my friend, who fulfilled that probability, and that is Jesus Christ. And therefore we ask the question, who is this man? What shall I do with him? But firstly let me ask the question, who is this man? And I would suggest to you today that he is the Messiah. Now here is the second question. The first one, is he the Messiah? And we are forced to say, yes, he is by the law of probability. Because he has fulfilled all the prophecies. But the second question is like unto it, was Jesus God? Now my dear friend Ezra will say, yes, he was a good man. Messiah, no, but a good man, yes. But I have entitled this section liar, lunatic, or Lord, because if He was not the Lord, then He was a liar or a lunatic. Was Jesus truly, in every sense of the term, the Lord God? I want you to notice what He said Himself. Would you please come to John chapter 5 and verse 23. I want you to notice what Jesus said about his own identity. In John chapter 5 and verse 23, what he said about his identity. John chapter 5 and verse 23, that is page 754. 754. Jesus said that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Who sent him? What an amazing statement! Jesus said to the Jews who were strict monotheists like we are, Jesus said, You need to honor me just as you honor God Almighty. Is it any wonder that those people who did not understand his his mission or his identity took up stones to have him put to death because they said he is blaspheming? Jesus categorically claimed oneness with God and he claimed that he was a divine being. I want you to come to John chapter 8 and verse 51 and onwards. This is an amazing passage. John chapter 8 and verse 51 and onwards, just over a few pages, page 758. 758 verse 51. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word he will never see death. What an amazing statement for a person to say. What would you think of a man today who would say those words, if you keep my sayings, you'll never see death? Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? Or was he the Lord? I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you did not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my glad. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus said, before Abraham was, before Abraham was, Jesus said, before Abraham was, he didn't say I was, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was using that unique expression that defined his relationship to divinity. Jesus said, I am Jehovah God. Now my friend, a person who makes a statement like that is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. But you can't say he's just a good man. He's one or the other. He's a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He claimed equality with Jehovah God. Notice John chapter 10 verse 30 and 31. John chapter 10. And verse 30 and 31, who is this man? John 10 and verse 30 and 31, page 760. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they tried to seize him. But he escaped their grasp. He said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John chapter 12, please notice this one. John chapter 12, verse 44, 45. John the 12th chapter, verse 44 and 45. John chapter 12, 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, He does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Jesus said, when you look at me, you will see God. Jesus said, when you look at me, you see my Father. No wonder, my friend, these people became annoyed at him. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me shall stay in darkness. And one other passage, John 20. In verse 26, come over here to John 20. And this is the story of the man who did not want to believe. John 20, verse 26, and onwards, Jesus appears to Thomas. Page 769. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus said, Feel my hands and feel my side. And Thomas, the man who was called the doubter, fell down at the feet of Jesus and he worshipped him. And he cried out and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus accepted him. And Jesus accepted the worship that he gave. I want to say this to you. Please think this through very carefully. You cannot say, as my friend Ezra says to me, and God bless him, you cannot say that Jesus is a good man and deny the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of God because no man could make the claims that Jesus made and be anything but a liar, lunatic, or the Lord. If he is not what he said he was, then he is the most deluded person who has ever lived and the greatest of deceivers. But if what he said is true, then he is the Lord and we ought to worship him. I want to read you a statement from William Lecky, one of Great Britain's most noted historians and a dedicated opponent of organized Christianity. This man was not opposed to the Bible. This man was not opposed to Christ. But he was opposed to the perversion of Christianity, which today is everywhere apparent. William Lecky said, It was reserved for Christianity to present to the world an ideal character which through all the changes of 18 centuries has inspired the hearts of men with an impassioned love. Has shown itself capable of acting on all ages, nations, temperaments and conditions. Has been not only the highest pattern of virtue but the strongest incentive to its practice. The simple record of these three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. This man says no person in the history of the human race has done more than has this man Jesus. No man has changed the world like this man has changed the world. No man has brought so much love into the world as this man. I ask you, is this the fruitage of a lunatic? Is this the fruitage of a liar? Or is this the fruitage of the Lord God of heaven? I ask you. But don't come and say to me, he was just a good man, and we recognize him as a great moralist. If he was not God, then he was one of the greatest fools. Maybe a lunatic. One of my favorite scholars, C.S. Lewis, who was professor at Cambridge University, and once an earnest agnostic... And some agnostics are some of the best people to know because they're the most honest. This man said, I do not know what I can believe, but he he came to the place where he became a devout Christian. He said, listen to Lewis, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I would suggest this to you do not walk out of this church and say in some supercilious style well I look upon Jesus as a great person as a great philosopher as a great healer as a great teacher but that is all because if you so argue it is because you are not thinking clearly Jesus made statements that coming from any other lips would be the marks of insanity. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am my Lord and my God, and he accepts it. Do not dare to say that he is a great man, or a great philosopher, or a great humanist, or a great scholar, or a great ennobler of humanity, but he was not the Messiah and not God. Because if he was not God, and if he was not what he claimed to be, then he was a charlatan and a demon out of hell. Says Lewis. But when I look at his works, I can think of one psychologist who said, When my patients come to me disturbed in their minds, there is nothing that will calm them and write their minds faster and better than the reading of the words of Jesus. Read the words of Jesus. Read the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. And ask yourself, who was the author of these timeless words? A liar, a lunatic, or the Lord God Almighty? You see? So who was he? When you go by the prophecies, the case is overwhelming. Yes, we believe we believe that he existed. I believe Ezra is right in his book, Look Upon Zion. Yes, he existed. I believe he was a great man, but I believe he was more than a great man. I believe that he was the Lord God Almighty come down as the Messiah in human flesh. Therefore, we come to the great question, What then shall I do with him? Now, he was something else. He was the Messiah. Number two, he was the Lord God Almighty, come down in human flesh. But he was Jesus. And the word Jesus is... The same word as the Hebrew, Joshua, and the J in it, or the, the Y is from Yahweh, or as we say, Jehovah. Yahweh is the more accurate translation. It is a name given to the one true self-existent everlasting Father God, the Creator. And the word Jesus means Jehovah, Yahweh saves. I want you to come to one blessed text, please. I want you to come to Matthew 1, 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. (laughs) This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. You see it? Not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so his very name means Savior. He came down to this earth, my friend, as the Savior. He came down to this earth to save me from my sins. Not to leave me floundering in darkness and despair and hopelessness. But he came down because of his heart of love, he, came, he could not stay away. We believe that even the Godhead has the gift of freedom of choice, but there is something that almost overpowers freedom of choice, and that is the power of the love of God. Did he really have a choice? One would say he hardly had a choice. How could he leave his children lost and damned and going down to hell? The Bible says he came down motivated by the heart of eternity. He came down to seek and to save that which was lost as the Savior. Who is he? He is the Messiah. He is the King of Israel. He is the person who fulfilled all of the prophecies. He is the one coin out of all those billions and billions of coins. He is the only coin that fulfills the specifications. He is more than a man. He is not a moralist. He is not a philosopher only. He is not a great healer. He is Yahweh in the flesh. And the Bible says... You'll call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, and he's been saving them for thousands of years. A young man who came with us over to Israel is with us. Blake, would you come? Blake Wexley. I wanted Blake to come at this time, because he was baptized. How are you doing? Fine. You okay? Yes. Just hold on to that. I wanted Blake to come because his coming with us to Israel was a meaningful experience because Blake is my brother, a Jew in Christ. When Blake came to this church some time ago brought by a beautiful young lady whose name is Donna, Blake came as an atheist. Not an agnostic, but an atheist, an atheistic Jew. Blake now knows where the Holy Land is, and it's not in the Middle East. As far as God is concerned, the Holy Land, the New Jerusalem, all of those great words, all of those now have Christian connotations. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ. The Bible says, there is neither Jew, neither Jew, nor Gentile. Gentile. (laughs) I don't know if I like that. There is neither Jew, it's true, or Gentile. There is neither male nor female. There is neither bond or free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Look around and you will see the Israel of God. The Israel of God is not composed of those who can trace their ancestors back to Abraham according to the flesh. The true Israel of God are those who can trace their ancestry to Jesus in the Spirit. And Blake is here today to testify to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what he's going to say, tell us what you think. Because here today, we're standing here today not to magnify people, not to magnify nations. I tell you, my friend, I believe in loyalty to a nation. But that's not the most important thing because it's not the color of a man's skin. It's not the way he says his eyes. It's not whether he says, Isaiah, or Isaiah, or good day, or good day. These are or whether he says, uh, trying to think of some Spanish words, but i really trying hard. Can you help me? Just, manana. Uh, who said manana? Stephen, I'm ashamed of you. Couldn't you think of something more exciting than moniana? That's what people are... You know, that means, we'll put it off, we'll do it tomorrow. Now, Blake, please tell us how you feel about, about Jesus.
1: Okay. Uh, you're a tough act to follow. Uh, no, 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 Stay no. close. Uh, I'm with okay.
0: you, I'm with you, I'm here.
1: Well, uh, first of all, uh, I was uh, born a Jew mm. and uh, a very liberal Jew at that but uh, I was uh, Bar Mitzvah and uh, attended uh, most of the holiday services but uh, even at that I uh, I still had no uh, no god uh, no real purpose in my life I uh, just uh, the uh, for me the one uh, with the most toys at the end wins, and uh, that's what I was uh, striving for in my life. Uh, for 24 years, men have uh, tried to change me, uh, Jews, Gentiles, uh, trying to get me uh, to temple, to church, uh, and uh, none uh, succeeded. But uh, Christ did what no man could do.
0: Praise God. Praise God. Praise
1: God. Uh, Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Christ is uh, the greatest Jew that ever lived. And knowing that, uh, I saw that uh, Jews and Gentiles, anyone, can uh, unite in Christ. a month ago I was uh, baptized and I gave my life to Christ and the greatest thing that I realize is that uh, not only do I uh, share the blood of Christ, but uh, I'm covered in it.
0: Thank God, thank God.
1: I praise, uh, I praise Jesus every day. Uh, my life uh, has a whole new meaning. Uh, the, uh, as the song goes, the things of the uh, world have grown strangely dim. My motivation is not uh, for this world. I no longer build treasures on this earth, uh, but I am building them in heaven.
0: Praise God. And thank uh, God.
1: I, I, I owe it all to Christ. Thank God. My, my personal Lord and Savior.
0: God bless you, Blake. Thank you. Bless you. God bless you. Doesn't that warm your heart? Hmm. Who is this man? He's the Messiah. Who is this man? He's God. Who is this man? He is the Savior of all men. Therefore we come to the greatest personal question. What then shall I do with this man who is called the Christ? The multitude cried out, crucify him. What shall we do with him? I would suggest that what we ought to do is fall at his feet and worship Him and say my Lord and my God. Let us do it. Let us do it. As we kneel, we kneel and we say my Lord and my God, my Messiah, my King, my Creator, my Lord, My Redeemer, my Savior, I come to you. I worship you. Let us pray. Our Father, here we are down on our knees and we're here to worship your Son. We thank you for sending the Messiah into the world. We thank you that we're not waiting for him to come to die for us, but we're here today to worship him. And to thank you for giving Jesus to die on the cross. And for giving us everlasting life. We thank you that this man is not just a teacher. Not a great moralist. Not just a great healer. But he is the true Messiah. He is the self-existent Jehovah, Yahweh, El Shaddai. The almighty God come down in human flesh. What shall we do with him? Our Father today, we decide upon our knees that we will crown him King of kings and Lord of lords of our lives. We accept him as our Savior. We accept him as the Messiah. And we give our hearts to Him at this moment. Take us this day, our Father. Cover us with the precious blood of the cross. Forgive our sins today. And when He comes again in glory, grant us with Him a place in the kingdom of God. For Jesus' sake, amen and amen.